Well, um, thank you again for being here and participating in this class. Uh, I am not going to be able to complete this this week. I didn't think that I would. So we're going to go over one more week. So I, we're going to extend it just one more week, and I'll be able to finish up uh, next Sunday. So if you'll just bear with me and come back for one more Sunday, uh, I'll be able to go finish all of the material, and then you will have it. Um, the last three lessons are very important. Um, the, um, keepers, be a, being a keeper of the home, uh, to be kind, and then being submissive to our husbands. And so those are three uh, pretty big uh, topics. And so I just couldn't get that all crammed into this week. So we'll go one more week and hopefully, uh, well, we will finish uh, next week. Today, we're going to begin talking about what the older woman is to teach the younger woman. The Titus, in Titus 2 instructs the older woman to to teach the younger woman what is good. Now, we're going to start talking about what is good today. And we're going to start uh, with um, the older woman is to teach the younger woman to love her husband. So let's very quickly look at Titus 2, verse 3. And it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger woman to love her husband, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so we'll start today with to love your husband. And there are several ways that the wife is to biblically love her husband. Always keep in mind, though, that the relationship between the husband and the wife should be a picture or a mirrored image of the relationship between the church and Christ. And so always keep that in mind as we're uh, uh, talking through this. In in Titus, verses 4 and 5, the term love, as it relates to the wife loving her husband, is... Uh, translated from the Greek, and the Greek word is philandrous. And philandrous or uh, uh, phalos love is defined as a tender affection for your husband. In other words, you're to consider your husband as your dearest and closest friend. So, um, uh, you know, phileos love is exhibited through our actions. Um, it's that I really care for you kind of love. As we think about this, we can encourage the younger woman to and instruct her to treat her husband as if he were someone very, very special. And he is someone very special in her life. To share her joys and her sorrows with him, uh, to cultivate a sweetness towards her husband like he was a dear friend. Um, you know, tell him why you enjoy his company so much. Um, hold hands, you know, just those things that you can do to uh, just show him uh, how much you do care for him and that he is a very special person in your life. You know, sometimes I think that women uh, share more with their friends than they actually do with their husbands. And so uh, your husband should be your dearest and your closest friend. And so that is what, how this translates in uh, the book of Titus. Uh, there are other kinds of love that are indirectly mentioned in the scripture. 
One of these loves is stowage love. Stowage love mentioned in the Bible is only used in its negative form. Stowage love means a natural affection. In its negative form in scripture, it means to lose the natural affection for. And so, uh, you know, that natural affection kind of love is the kind of love that you would have for a newborn baby or for a puppy. You know, everybody loves a baby. Everybody loves a little puppy or a little kitten. They're cute. They're cuddly. But because stowage love is based on a feeling, you can lose that love quite quickly. You know, a puppy, you get a puppy, and he's so cute, and everybody loves him, but then he grows up, starts to chew up everything, and he bites you, well, then you're ready to get rid of him. You know, uh, you see, so we can't, that's really not the kind of love that we want to have towards our husband because, you know, there are days, because it's based on a feeling that you're not going to love him as much as maybe you did on another day. And so, you know, when he hurts your feelings or does something that you don't uh, approve of, then you can't just kick him to the curb like you would a dog or a cat. So, you see, um, that's not the kind of love that the Scripture really refers to as it relates to our relationship with our husband, although it is a, a kind of love that is implied in Scripture. Um, another kind of love that we uh, can show to our husbands is eros love. Uh, this is where we get the term erotic. Uh, that's the kind of love that God gives to a husband and to a wife. It's that physical union, uh, that physical intimacy that God gives us uh, for the purpose of creating a very special emotional bond between the husband and the wife, and as well to uh, procreate and, and to have children. I think, though, today that in our society, many people, young people and older couples, in, sometimes enter into relationships based entirely on Eros love. Because Eros love is based on a feeling or a physical attraction what happens when that feeling begins to wane or that physical attraction uh, is not what it was at one time? Then that relationship is over. And so that's uh, because many couples enter into that marriage relationship based on that eros love. I think that is why we see such a high rate of divorce and even couples who choose not to even marry at all. Uh, it's just completely based on that physical um, attraction. So this sort of love is um, a very self-seeking uh, kind of love, and it has everything to do with physical lust rather than godly love. But, but also keep in mind, though, and, and that's in a worldly sense, but God designed Eros love. Uh, it is a wonderful gift that God gives to husbands and wives as a part of that one flesh union. And so uh, we should see that that way, and wives uh, should keep that in mind in their relationship with their husband. This is a very important aspect of the marriage, is that physical union and intimacy uh, between the two. You may run into this when you uh, 
are uh, discipling. Uh, there are some women who are, um, they, they uh, view the physical intimacy in a very negative way. And as a result, um, it causes a lot of problems within the marriage. And so encourage them that that is part of uh, what God has called you to do to, in a way that you can serve your husband in that way. So uh, we talked about uh, the um, Stoish love, Eros love, uh, and now we're going to talk about the kind of love, the most important kind of love mentioned in Scripture, and that is agape love. Agape love is lo- unlike the other kinds of love because agape love is not based on a feeling or on anything that you're going to receive in return from the other person. Uh, Remember that I said in the beginning that the marriage relationship between the husband and wife should be a reflection uh, of the relationship between Christ and his church. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look very quickly at verses 22 through 32. Verse 22, um, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So let's look at agape love. Agape love makes that comparison, uh, as I said, between the the relationship between Christ, uh, your love for Christ, and your relationship with your husband, your love for your husband. This is an unconditional love, an unconditional love. Romans uh, 5 and 8 um, says that God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God chose to love us even when we were his enemies. And so Christ demonstrated this unconditional love for us through his death on the cross. And if we're going to be like Christ, then we need to love unconditionally as well. Um, You know, God accepts us just the way we are, sinful human beings. Uh, Therefore, we should in turn accept our husbands for who they are. Um, You choose to love. Uh, even if there are things about your husband that irritate you or rub you the wrong way or that you just don't like. Um, and I understand that this kind of love is not always easy. Um, but a woman who demonstrates agape love isn't manipulative, 
nor is she selfish. She does what she does because she loves the Lord. And that is what God has commanded us to do, not thinking about or expecting uh, anything in return or what she's going to get out of it. It, uh, Agape love is not, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, sort of a relationship. Unconditional love is just your desire as a woman to bring glory to God by serving your husband. That's what agape love is. Um, And taking no regard as to how he's going to treat you in return. Now, I want to I just clarify some things right here. This doesn't mean that you need to accept sinful behavior. We have a responsibility to confront sinful behavior. But in this context, this is not what this is talking about. And so I will, I will say to you, if you run into those... Um, you know, maybe a circumstance where there is abuse, then you need to take that to the pastors, and that's not part of a discipleship, uh, you know, something that you need to uh, get into. Um, but um, in, in this context of what we're talking about today, it's the love, that love that, that mirrors the image of Christ and his church. That is an unconditional love. It is our desire as women to bring glory to God by serving our husbands. Not only is it an unconditional love, but it is a sacrificial love. Christ was willing to lay down his life for us. And in turn, we should be willing to sacrifice ourselves to do what God has called us to do and and not just seek to please ourselves. Um, this becomes very clear in the marriage relationship. Uh, selfishness is one of the things that will destroy a marriage quicker than anything, being selfish. Selfishness manifests itself in a lot of different ways. You know, um, sometimes uh, a wife, her heart is set on her husband treating her a certain way or esteeming her in a certain way. And when he doesn't do that, then she begins to look around and she sees these, these other husbands and, you know, what he does for his wife. You know, he, he, look what he does for him. I wish my husband uh, would be like that, you know, and treat me this way or esteem me in this manner. And therefore, they become discontent in their relationship. I'll give you an example of that. I can count on one hand the times that my husband has ever given me flowers, ever. He just doesn't. Um, You know, he doesn't see the point. He thinks it's a waste of money because, you know, he said, why would I spend money on something that's just going to die in a few days and uh, you're going to throw it out? So, you know, he, he just doesn't. You know, and that used to bother me. It really used to bother me, especially back when I was younger and I, I taught school. And on, these teachers would get these, I'm telling you, glorious bouquets of flowers, you know, on their anniversary. 
you know, and I'm not me. I never got anything like that. You know, and I'd become a little bit jealous, you know, that, you know, and they, well, I guess they think my husband doesn't love me because he doesn't ever send me any flowers like that, you know. So, you see, I can come, become discontent in the relationship because your husband is not esteeming you the way that you think that he should. But the reality is he may not have ever gotten me flowers more than just a few times. But I want to tell you, he does some very, very sweet things for me. Things that others don't see that are very sweet and precious to me. So in, instead of focusing on what he doesn't do, then we need to appreciate what he does do and appreciate uh, and be uh, grateful and respect him for the love that he does show. And so we don't want to ever get caught up in that trap because it will just cause us to be discontent and cause problems in our marriage. And you'll see this as you begin to mentor young women. Sometimes this is the issue. It's just that the husband is just not meeting up to her expectations of what she thinks he should do or not do. Uh, And and she doesn't really... uh, uh, respect and appreciate what he does do. So also, agape love is a love that is in action. Christ continually, he continually uh, shows us gestures of blessings, um, even though we don't deserve it. You know, uh, it was a blessing this morning just to be here. He continually blesses us and it's not based on what we deserve. So, as wives, we should continually, continually show gestures of love towards our husband. Not based on what he deserves. Or what you think that he, if by doing this, he's going to do in return for you. Why? Because this is the way that Christ loves us. And if we're going to mirror the image and be a mirrored image of Christ. This is how we're to love our husbands. And it should be an unconditional, sacrificial love that is continually in action. So Christ is able to love us um, even when there's no love shown in return. And he enables us to do that as well through the power of his Holy Spirit. Agape love is not based on a feeling. It is not based on our emotions. It's a choice that we make to demonstrate love towards our husband. It is a choice. So according to Martha Peace's book, The Excellent Wife, there are three categories of sin that will destroy love and destroy a marriage. The first one is selfishness. Being selfish. And our desire, instead of desiring to have our own needs met, then our desire should be to bring glory to God rather than pleasing ourselves. So um, bitterness is the second one. And bitterness oftentimes comes when we dig in our heels and we refuse to forgive. Uh, I see this so much, especially in the counseling ministry, maybe when the wife has been hurt in one way or the other. And she continually dwells on these things, 
uh, even when the husband has repented of his sin, he has demonstrated that he wants to right the wrong and that he wants uh, to uh, work on the relationship and to uh, have a relationship that's pleasing to God because she has been hurt she refuses to forgive and digs in her heels and essentially will become bitter. And that bitterness and that, that refusal to forgive is a sin. It is a sin on her part. Um, and I think some of this really comes from our pride. Our pride has been hurt. And so we just, you know, we don't want to, we don't, you know, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven for what he's done or for what he said. And so, you know, we uh, take that uh, route. But unforgiveness and bitterness only affects, you know, it, 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 it not only does it affect your relationship with your husband, but it, reflect, reflect, it, um, it affects your relationship with God. Because when we refuse to forgive, then that, if, who forgives us? Christ forgives us. And when we go to him and we ask Christ to forgive us our sins, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. It's as if it never happened. I'm not saying that that is easy. But if we're going to reflect the image of Christ, that is how we are to forgive. So, um, but not only does it hurt our relationship with, with the Lord, it also hurts our relationship with our children. Because our children hear the anger, they hear the slander, and they witness the critical behavior. And so um, forgiveness, just as agape love is a choice, forgiveness also is a choice. We are commanded to forgive, commanded to forgive, 70 times 7. We're, we're commanded to forgive. It's not about what the other person deserves. Um, you know, and we're able. God enables us to forgive. We're not, and how do we do this? We can't continually dwell on the wrong. Um, and we can't use it as a way to manipulate. You know, go on down the road and you keep bringing it up. Well, remember back when, yeah, no, you can't do that. When that, because that's not the way God forgives us. When he forgives, it's over and done with. And so when we forgive, it also has to be over and done with. And so, um, you know, I just want to encourage you that, that you know, in, this can be an area uh, that can cause a lot of problems in marriages is when we refuse to forgive and become embittered. Uh, the next thing Martha talks about is fear and anxiety. And uh, there are more women today on antidepressants than I think ever before. Um, and what does the scripture say about anxiety? What does it say about being anxious? It's a sin, isn't it? We're to be anxious for nothing, nothing. And the only antidote to fear and anxiety is trusting in Christ. That is the solution trusting in Christ. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's the with thanksgiving. That's where the trust is because you're thanking God on the front end for how he's going to work through this situation. 
You're demonstrating your trust when you're able to thank the Lord in your prayers. Thank him for how he's going to work this situation out. And uh, I just want to um, give you a couple of resources. As I said before, once you've gone through the 12-week discipleship, you'll begin to see some areas where the young woman is struggling. And so this will give you opportunity to go back and maybe do a, a Bible study with her that's geared more towards the things that she's struggling with. And so I'll, it's a couple of little resources here. I'll tell you this is probably uh, the best book, The Excellent Wife, that was ever printed as it relates to uh, you know, a woman's role in the home. This book is uh, written more to be at, as, a, as a study, a Bible study. It's a very in-depth study of the woman's role. Um, there are some other books that are good. Um, uh, the Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney is also a very good book. It is written, it, it, uh, much of the same information is in her book. It's that she's, it's written more in, it, not as a Bible study, but just as a book. And so that might be an option uh, for you as well, uh, something for you to think about. Also, um, Karen Hott, who will be coming in May to do a women's conference for us, has a really good book. And it's called The God-Empowered Wife. And so these are some resources that you can use if this is an area that you need to go back and look at and help her as she uh, may be struggling uh, with her, in her relationship with her husband. Well, we're going to keep moving on because we've got to get uh, through. Remember, always remember to review your homework assignments, uh, your memory work, and, and spend some time praying together each time that you meet. And then we move to week nine. So uh, week nine is going to be uh, teaching her to love her children. And in the Greek, the word uh, uh, love here, to love your children, is, uh, and I'm not very good at pronouncing the Greek words, but anyway, phileteknos, uh, and that is a compound word. Phileo means uh, tender, technos means child. So the idea here is the mother is to think of her children in a very tender uh, way. And, and treat them tenderly and with tenderness. Uh, the Apostle Paul used this same terminology uh, when he talked about new converts or the Christians at the church at Thessalonica. He said, But we are gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of our own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And so uh, delighting in our children and teaching and and loving them and treating them in a very dear manner, that is what... uh, Uh, we're finding here what Paul is trying to communicate. You know, I think most mothers love their children. I do. Uh, In fact, I think it's inherent that most mothers tenderly care for their children. Uh, Most women who are expecting a child can't wait to see their baby's face. You know, when they get the ultrasound and they can see that that face, you know, they're just overwhelmed with that. They just can't wait to hold their baby in their arms. Uh, No one has to tell them uh, 
to uh, to love their children, or to how to hold and how to kiss and just snuggle that baby. It just come. It's just in, innate within us. God puts that uh, within us. But I, you know, um, as much as we love our children, I think that all mothers struggle to one degree or another with impatience. I think that's true. Um, no matter how much you love your children, uh, I think that most all mothers could benefit from some occasional help and encouragement in this area. You know, the older woman should teach the younger woman to continually think loving thoughts towards her children and to the light in her children. Uh, I think every woman uh, should memorize and have it on big print on their refrigerator. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient, and love is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant nor rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't delight in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So this relates to our children. We're to be kind, not irritable and grouchy. We're to be patient. You know, even, you know, if you've told them two or three times to get their shoes on and, you know, and they're still dragging behind, you know, be patient. Um, love is not provoked. You know, uh, we don't have to scream and yell at our children, although we're tempted to do that sometimes. I know, I understand. Um, older women should, can help to hold the younger women accountable. To, to be kind and tender-hearted towards their children. I, this is something I think we all struggle with to one degree or, or the other. Even mothers who are, you know, typically easygoing and tender-hearted can become exasperated beyond belief at times. We can. Um, and, you know, you come home, you've worked all day, you're tired, you've cooked supper, you know, you've helped with homework, uh, you have just about, you know, exhausted everything you had, you know. And so we tempted to say things like, I'm tired. You can go on, leave me alone for a while. I need to rest. But you see, that's kind of that's hard-hearted, isn't it, in a sense, because you think about those kids because they've been away from you all day. They want to be with you at night. And even though you're tired and you're exhausted, you know, we have to uh, be tender-hearted and, and think of them as well. So this is a way we can encourage, as older women, we can encourage the younger women. Um, you know, there are some women who go even further. Uh, not just hard-hearted, but they're malicious. Um, there are women who are cruel in the way that they discipline their children, the way that they talk to their children. Um, we would call that abuse. And, uh, you know, children who are disciplined in this way most of the time, they're outwardly compliant. But what I see is that they themselves will become cruel and hard-hearted. And this is just a cycle that's repeated 
over and over again. And so we don't have to be that way. And if you were treated that way as a child, you can break that cycle and not carry that on uh, with your children. Because from God's perspective, children are a gift. It's a gift. They are a gift that God gives to us. God is merciful towards his children. So therefore, we should be merciful towards our children. So um, the last point that I want to make is a re, uh, uh, regard to loving our children. You know, we are to, to be loving and merciful and see our children as a gift. But that doesn't mean that we don't discipline our children. So we can exhort and encourage the younger woman to lovingly administer discipline to her children. All children, all children are sinners. All of them. And, you know, Proverbs 22 says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. But the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. You know, I think that Scripture teaches that we can spank our children. But I think... um, there is a, a, a loving way that we can do this. Godly, lovingly discipline. Hear me, ladies. Godly, lovingly discipline is one of the greatest ways that you can show your children that you love them. If you don't discipline your children, it will come back to haunt you. Um, several years ago, I took a class um, and uh, it was a parenting class called Growing Kids God's Way. Um, this is one of the best classes I ever uh, took in my life. I think this uh, material is still available online, um, but uh, there were a few things that, you know, I, I, at the time that I took the course, I, um, you know, my daughter was grown. I didn't have any grandchildren at that time, you know, but I wish so much that I had had this course when my daughter was little, or even before I had her. Um, so, and I think if I had a, I would have been a much better mom than what I was. And so, you know, um, one of the things that I took from this course, and I'm going to tell you, I used so much of this information as a teacher in my classroom. Uh, just the same principles that you use with your own children, you can use uh, as you're dealing with children, you know, in a classroom setting as well. You know, one of the things that I learned in this course was first-time obedience. First-time obedience. Um, you know, and I'm not going to go through all the details of this, uh, but the idea is that you start when your children are small, very small. Um, You know, you want to um, discipline your children very quickly the first time that they obey. And this this is the key here, that you're consistent. You are consistent with your discipline because if you're not consistent, um... You know, you're going to eventually become very angry and frustrated. So you must be consistent. Uh, And, um, you know, oftentimes what I think is that when our children are real little, we think some of the sinful things that they do are cute. And we laugh and, you know, we go along with it. 
But then when they get to be about three, four years old, it's not so, quite so cute anymore. And then when we start trying to discipline them, you know, they'll dig in and uh, it's much harder. So you need to begin your discipline when you're ch- with your children when they are very small. Why? Because children are they're sinful beings and, and, and they want to do what they want to do. They want to do what they want to do. I mean, babies want to do what they want to do. You and I want to do what we want to do. That's part of our sin nature. And not only do they want to do what they want to do, they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. They want to do it the way they want to do it. And so you have to begin to train them very, very young that that's not the way that things are going to operate. And so, um, you know, uh, because if you don't, by the time they get three or four years old, it's going to be a much harder job. I, I had a lady call me this week, and she told me, she said, her grandson, I think, is like three years old. And she said, you know, he, he's just, he's terrible. And uh, she said, in fact, the, you know, he just won't behave. And she said, my daughter spanked him, and, you know, I, I don't know how consistent, but, and she said, but now the daycare's called and said that, you know, she's going to have to come get him from the daycare because, you know, he won't mind. And uh, they said, you know, she's probably going to have to find a different daycare because he's not minding there. You know, I don't know what we're going to do, you know, about it. Well, I, I um, offered her some suggestions and some books maybe that might help her uh, along the way. But if we discipline our children in any other way, I will tell you that your children are just learning that they don't have to obey until you've counted to three, snapped five times, or yelled at the top of your lungs. And so you've got to start early and be consistent. And that's how you can help uh, these younger women. Another resource uh, that uh, is really good for parenting, and if if the young lady you're working with is dealing with some issues as it relates to her children, these are some good resources that you might go through with her. And this is the parenting book by Paul uh, Tripp. It is it just it, it's some really good principles in here. Also, um, his brother Ted Tripp has Shepherding the Heart of the Child. But I want to tell you about this book. Um, oftentimes, I see this book in the book nook and different places by itself. This book gives us some great principles as it relates to disciplining our children, but it's of little value, I think, without the second book. There's a book that follows this that's entitled Instructing a Child's Heart. And so in this book, you find the principles. Instructing, which I gave away, I am terrible about loaning my books out and I don't get them back. Um, I and loaned it out and didn't get it back, and I don't know where it's at. So... Um, but the instructing the heart of the child teaches you how to apply the principles that you learned in this book. And so you need both of those books because all, I want to tell you, ladies, we can, under, we can know the principles, but it's a difference from knowing it and actually being able to apply those principles. And so instructing the heart of a child's heart teaches you how to apply the principles, but these are some good resources that I would suggest if you are, um, you know, dealing with a, a disciple that is struggling in this area. That you might uh, also, Pastor Aaron, I, I I don't know. He usually teaches a parenting class every couple of years. I, I don't think he's done it in a little while, but um, encourage 
your disciples to take a parenting class. It will, it will be helpful to them. So um, that is uh, what I have in regard to um, loving their children, loving their children. So hopefully by the time you have gotten to week 10, your, your disciples should be, it, be very good at this point, or very, becoming very proficient in sharing the gospel. And so because remember, you're, we're working on that every week of learning how to share the gospel. So by week 10, you've only got two more weeks to go. Uh, they should be you know, doing a pretty good job of that. So uh, make sure you're being consistent. And then week 10, the older woman is going to uh, instruct the younger woman to be sensible and pure. So that means you've made all, you've made four of uh, the different topics that we're to address as older women. Now, to be sens- sensible, to be sen- sensible is the Greek word sophron. Sophron means to be of sound mind, uh, to be prudent, to be wise uh, in our thinking. That means we're not going to run on our emotions. And ladies, that's a problem. Because women tend to run on emotions. And so uh, the Bible is instructing us not to make decisions and not to uh, act according to how we feel and our emotions. We're to act and we're to uh, make decisions based on God's word, not our feelings. Because that will get us in in trouble. You know, women can think and act pretty crazy. Uh, and uh, especially, you know, when we're dealing with hormones and those sort of things. And so, you know, we have to, to guard against that because that, that is very sinful. We're to be wise. We're to be prudent. That's an old word, prudent. But uh, it just simply means to be wise. In or, and in order to be that, to be that woman, we're going to have to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. So... Uh, I thought a lot about this and a lot of uh, the things that older women should teach younger women uh, as it relates to being of sound mind. The first thing that I wrote is that, uh, you know, she needs to set priorities, priorities, and and that's just going to help her to make wise decisions. You know, it's very easy as women to become overcommitted, overcommitted. Uh, and we have more things on our plate than we could ever accomplish. Um, and when this happens, who normally pays the price? Our families. Our families. And so um, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Um, you know, we only have so many hours and minutes in the day. And so we need to prioritize our time so that we are um, living our life and we're doing the things that are the most pleasing to God. And, um, you know, remember, God is to be first. Then our husbands then our children, and then our work and our volunteer things that we do with the church and all of that. We've got to keep things in the right order. Uh, There have been several times in my life when I've had to realign 
my priorities. Um, and, you know, and I had to do that just recently. Um, you know, after um, I found out that my cancer had returned and, uh, you know, I had to realign some things because, and I had to just stop and think because I was doing a lot of things. Uh, uh, I uh, work, was working for the Education Foundation. Um, I was mentoring a teacher. I um, do counseling. I was also mentoring in, uh, you know, uh, within the church. A lot of things going on. I had my family, my grandchildren that I help uh, with. You know, I, and when after this diagnosis, I, I had to stop and say, look, there has to be some things that's got to come off my plate. What is it? Well, the first thing is the job had to go. As much as I loved that job, it had to go because I could not keep things in perspective. Uh, I had to let that go. You know, what my, but what my thought was that... I needed to be able to accomplish the most that I could accomplish for the Lord. What, what, how am I going to do that in my life that I can accomplish the most that I can for the Lord? So um, I think that, you know, I think that is one thing sometimes that we need to do with the younger women is to help them prioritize uh, what is there? There's some things probably going on in their life that don't, you know, they think that they have to do it, but in reality they don't. And so, you know, to take those things that don't really matter in the big scheme of things off uh, and focus on what is most pleasing to the Lord. And remember that that, you know, I think a lot of times that. Um, uh, you know, a, a lot of times women will put their children first. They become the priority. Um, you know, um, their children, their children's activities become their primary ministry. And so, therefore, their husband is neglected, um, which I'll tell you that can that'll cause major problems in the marriage. You know, you never want, you always want to make things keep in the order. God, your husband, your children, and then everything else. And so, uh, you know, that just encourage them and that they're keeping things in the right order. Uh, we can do, you know, there are a lot of things that we do that are good, uh, but we can't do everything. And we can't do everything good. Uh, nor can we do everything in a way that honors God, you know, if we've got too much going on. Uh, and I think this is a struggle uh, probably with most all women. And so uh, this is a way that you can help them be wise in their commitments so that it uh, doesn't affect um, their marriage. Um, and then secondly, I think it's we talk about helping women to be sensible and wise and prudent is that we help them to live within a budget. I see this as a it brings a lot of problems. There's nothing that will tear a marriage apart more than I think financial problems and so and money problems. And so this is another area that you oftentimes will have to and need to address. Um, you know, scripture says that we're to be faithful and wise managers. Uh, whom the master will set over, you know, we, that's whom, the ma whom his master will set over his household. This passage is talking about us being faithful and sensible towards 
you know, handing our money. And we need to be a woman that our husbands can trust as it relates to our money. Um, you know, uh, not only should she be able to stay within a budget, but she should be grateful and content to live with what the Lord has given her. That's where the problem usually lies. Um, you know, I, knew a, I, I know a woman who has a credit card that, uh, and it's not me, it's not me, it's somebody <laughs> else, uh, that has a credit card um, that her husband, it's a secret from her husband. He don't know anything about it. Um, and whenever she gets depressed or whatever, uh, she goes shopping. Well, the last I knew, she had $11,000 charged on that credit card that her husband knew nothing about. Um, have mercy. Um, you see, it's, it's easy for us to become discontent. Discontent, and we want more things. And you know, we'll grumble and complain about what we have. And our husbands can be working so hard to provide us with the things that we need. Um, but just think how that makes him feel when we're discontent and we're unhappy with what he's providing, what God is providing for us through him. And so uh, one way to illustrate sound mind is to live within a budget. And, um, you know, that I, I've, I have many times have, I have helped the person that I'm counseling or to write out a budget and, you know, so they can put it out on paper, and sometimes that helps them to, to, uh, to function a little bit better. So if, if your uh, mentoree is having a problem as it relates to money and handling money and uh, establishing a bu budget, you know, there are a lot of resources out there as well. You know, uh, Bo and I went through the Dave Ramsey course years ago, and uh, that helped us tremendously um, become debt-free and... Uh, it, uh, you know, it just made a huge, had a huge impact on our ability to, to be a blessing to other people because we ourselves don't have such debt. And so that's just a resource that you might could use if you need uh, to do that. Next, uh, in teaching them to be sensible is to, to be able to face reality. Uh, and sometimes reality can be devastating. Sometimes the things that we are faced with uh, can be uh, our worst nightmare. Uh, our husband's lost his job. Our debts are mounting. Our children, we have a child that's maybe terminally ill. Um, your husband wants a divorce. Uh, maybe you have a spouse that's dying. There's abuse. I mean, I, the list goes on and on and on you know, uh, as to what uh, the possibilities of what this woman can be facing. Um, but the idea here is that you want to give them hope. And their hope is in Christ. Uh, you know, we can, as women, we can work ourselves into a frenzy and hysteria over our circumstances. But the idea is, is that we want to bring God into our circumstances. You know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we do know, and we can trust that somehow God is going to give us the grace to walk through it. 
And that is, what, that is where our hope comes from. When we bring God into the picture, we're not as overwhelmed with our circumstances. Why? Because he is our hope. He is our hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No situation you face is not some situation that somebody else somewhere, some other time, has not always faced or had already faced. But the next sentence says, but God is faithful. Who is God faithful to? He's faithful to his children. He's not faithful to those who are not his children. He's faithful to his children. That is a promise that God is making to us. And God is God, cannot go back on his promise. And so he is faithful to us. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, what you're going through is going to turn out the way you want it to. Um, We don't know that. God has a plan. But we do know this, that God is faithful, and he will help us and enable us to walk through the circumstance. He may not take the circumstance away, but we will be able to walk through it with his help. And so that's what we want to encourage uh, our younger women to rely on God and bring him into the circumstances. Uh, And by doing that, we can be more sensible and wise in how we handle those circumstances. And then uh, the fourth thing that we want to teach younger women to do, and I've got about five minutes, so I'm going to try to rush through this, um, is to be pure. Um, The word pure in the Greek is hognos, which means to be free of defilement, free of sin, to be chaste and to be modest in their thoughts. Um, This is, you know, not just outwardly, but it's that our thoughts are pure as well. Um, I think that uh, sometimes, you know, it's er not everyone deals with this, but I have seen this in different cases that where we have to guard and I think this is with everyone we have to guard what we put into our minds because if we're not careful we'll find ourselves daydreaming and uh, fantasizing about things that we shouldn't be thinking about nor fantasizing about you know and so we guard our minds um, uh, that you know can uh relate to the things that we put inside, TV, the movies that we watch, uh, the books that we read, uh, pornography, things we, we look at, uh, forms of music that we listen to, um, anything that we're going to fill our mind with that's going to cause us to have impure thoughts and lead us to an impure thinking we need to guard against. And Matthew says... Uh, In chapter 15, verse 18 says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. You see, what we say and what we do comes from what's already inside, already inside of us. And so we have to guard what we put in because God... Although we're not able to look inside each other's heart, God can. But what we can see is what's manifested through our actions and what we say. 
And that is what's already in the heart. And so uh, help her to guard against, um, and to guard her heart so that she, um, be careful what she's putting on the inside. Um, no husband on the face of this earth can compete with what you imagine in your mind. That's true. You know, the, the, the man you imagine in your mind smells good all the time. The man that you imagine in your mind is romantic. Uh, he's handsome. He's kind. He's passionate. No wonder you're unhappy with a plain old everyday man you got. Because, see, that's just a fantasy. That's not, re- that's not reality. And so help her to be, uh, to understand and to face what is real in her life and to be pure in her thoughts and to be grateful and thankful for what God has given her. And, um, you know, so that uh, takes us through the uh, loving our husband, loving our children, um, being sensible and being pure. So next week, as I said before, we'll complete the last three things uh, in our list of things to teach. And so hopefully you'll come back one more week, and I, and I, I just could not get it all crammed into uh, three weeks. And so if you'll come back, I'll finish next week. And then, as I said before, if you have any questions about any of this, I, I've had to pare it down so much that I feel like that I've skipped over some things. But if you have questions, I'm always available. So Feel free to come and and ask me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that we will become a, have a, uh, develop a culture within our church where women are mentoring other women. We're loving them. We're encouraging them. We're helping them in their walk with the Lord. So that the goal is in all of our lives that we will, uh, glorify you and bring honor to your precious holy name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.